Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, the podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order in retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontist podcast. I'm Dr. Leon Klempner, a retired orthodontist. I practiced for 38 years in New York, and now I'm full-time CEO of People in Practice. Um, retired? Not exactly. I'm lucky enough to be living in a community where I practiced, so I see uh, previous patients all the time, and they're asking me about retirement. And the reality is I'm working full-time and as busy as ever, and really... Uh, blessed by the fact that I loved practicing orthodontics and I love uh, marketing for orthodontists. And, and actually the best part is I am a grandpa and I want to give a shout out to Maya and Kayla, my two granddaughters. And of course, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, my partner, my daughter, and marketing guru, Amy Epstein. Thanks, Dad. One of the few people uh, out there who will call you a guru and make you blush. It's your dad. So, yeah, I'm Amy Epstein. Um, I'm happy to be here. I have an MBA in marketing, and I spent 15 years in global public relations and marketing before joining my dad to start up People in Practice, which is our joint marketing firm where we help orthodontists grow their practice despite the disruption in the industry, um, and we do that through localized patient education. We do it through reputation management and also the engagement of potential new patients through the power of social media. So today, I'm just going to jump right into it because we're excited to introduce today's guest, Mr. Joe Hogan, the CEO and president of Align Technology. And he's graciously agreed to talk with us about his perspective on the changing nature of the orthodontic specialty. Joe, thank you for being here, and welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists. Uh, thanks, Amy and Leon. Great to be on the show. So, Joe, I don't know if you recall or not, but we actually met in person many years ago in New York. Do you remember how? Leon, I remember. In fact, I had just started with a line, and I ran, you know, I was, um, you know, I've started a lot of jobs in my life. It's hard for me to hold down a job over time. So, but <laughs> one of the things I've learned is a good thing to do is to get into the field and uh, and to meet customers, and in this case, doctors. Uh, and I remember meeting you, and what, what I really remembered is... Um, as I had made my rounds around the country in this point and then around the world, where, you know, doctor, orthodontists are very clinical, right? And I learned a lot of clinical things, Leon. You were the first one who really lived. I, I saw someone who was balancing and understanding from a marketing standpoint and a business standpoint with a clinical standpoint. And uh, I enjoyed our conversation. And that's when you were, I think, making a transition in your life at that point in time, too, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you have a good memory. We actually met at a diner and... Uh our territory manager, Alice. Yes. Um, we call her Invisalign Alice, um, who, who recently retired. Uh, she really uh, helped me in my practice uh, become elite providers and, and learn how to use the product. And uh, I remember you, you know, sitting at the table across from you and saying, gee, this guy is kind of young to be, you know, head of, of Align. But, you know, then I read your resume and, and, and totally understand. 
Um, and and I, I saw you recently on Kramer, um, and so you're, you're very good on TV as well. Mm-hmm. Well, th- well, thanks. Um, I'm, I'm lucky <laughs> on some days. <laughs> okay, so let's get down to it here. So as you know, many orthodontists have what I would call a love-hate relationship with a line. Um, I did. And, you know, it's not news to you to understand some of the things that have happened that, that have, you know, turned some of the orthodontists sour um, because of some broken promises. I remember I was in, actually in the first Align training at the Marriott, uh, I think it was 1999, uh, in Manhattan, and it was ortho only. And the line from Align, if I could use that, uh, was that it's always going to be ortho only. And, and um, as you know, for whatever reason, and I understand it's a business, and I understand there were some legal stuff, but, uh, you know, the, the GPs are now, uh, you know, affecting the industry, and, and, um, uh, and a lot of orthos are upset about that. And then, you know, the, the relationship with Smile Direct Club, where, where you purchased a pretty healthy share, 18 20% of the company, provided aligners for the company. Once again, kind of a slap in the face to the orthodontists that have been supporting you. So, you know, my question to you is, where do you see the orthodontist specialist fitting into Align's future plans? Yeah. You know, Leon, maybe first of all, I just want to say that I, um, you know, when I think about orthodontist and the love-hate relationship you describe. I mean, I feel it. I see it. It frustrates me at time. You know, from a history standpoint, I'm sure the people that, from a company standpoint, that made those commitments to only work with orthos back then, that they meant it. Um, mm-hmm. From my understanding, there was a legal case in the sense of, you know, of isolation of teeth movement with only orthodontists from an anti-competitive standpoint that drove us to court. And then as a consequence, you know, we had to sell to GPs. I know there's conspiracy theories that exist in this industry that are incredible, okay? Um, Like that we sponsored that, you know, legal thing and whatever. I don't, in most cases, I don't think we're that smart even back then to do that. And, um, you know, so it was, you know, a movement by the industry to do it and that we had to follow. Um, But when you look at that in context of where the technology has gone over 20 years, it was inevitable that um, some simple tooth movements through a digital type of a process, you know, would end up in, you know, a, a GP's hand. So, and on SDC, I'll explain that in more detail. But I, look, I have a lot of compassion for orthodontists. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, when you look at, these are family practices often. They have been handed down from family to family. Uh, we bring in this disruptive technology that's completely orthogonal to how they were trained and what they have done and what they've been through at times and and so I, I you know when I hear that at times I don't ever get mad or infuriated or anything like that I understand I, I understand dislocation and disruption in a market and what it means and it's not like I'm working with corporate entities right that have some resilience or time and other businesses I've been in I always picture that you know people are going home their families are asking about the practices and how things are doing or whatever these are this is an emotional thing when we come in and, and change things so I, I i guess i understand um you know why someone braced and some some don't but i think it's an industry where in my mind i never separate business from the particular personal aspects of an orthodontic practice of that i hope it makes sense 
well, I'll talk about SDC in a second, but what I I don't want to um, say is that, that the disruption is just part of what we do every day and try to make it like, well, you just have to accept that. I know it's it's hard to accept, but remember, we spent about $1.5 billion over a period of 21 years now uh, to learn how to do orthodontics in a digital sense. And, and that's where we are today. And that's why you see companies like STC. That's why you see, you know, GPs able to do what I, you know, think in most cases, simple kinds of movements and those kind of things. But from an orthodontist practice standpoint, and what do I think of the future? I, I What I don't understand is that, that, that the orthodontists often don't see the abundance of opportunity that I, in the marketplace, is it to say that there's, there's, you know, roughly 4 million case starts in the Americas this year. Year. These are primarily teens in orthodontist office, and that's how we count those things. But this year, we've talked for years in this business about a broader market of moving teeth. Um, and SDC basically shows us that that market's out there. SDC will do about 500,000 cases this year. Uh, and we, consequently, will still grow at 20% in the Americas. And so it shows that there's just so much opportunity out there to move teeth. And and, and, and I often think that orthodontists sell themselves short because I really didn't appreciate the orthodontic science until I joined this company and and I have many orthodontist friends today and the incredible work that orthodontists do um, the idea that you can change facial structure you know just so much of, of, of the capability of an orthodontist to separate themselves from just normal street uh, teeth straightening is amazing to me so I I'm optimistic about the profession I think the profession should use this digital format to, to, to even expand what their capabilities are, and we can talk more about that. Uh, but I honestly, I don't think there's been a better time in the last 50 years for orthodontists than there is today. Well, you know, it, I think there's a lot of truth to that, and there's a lot of opportunity, and, we, you know, we have a lot of practices that are, are, are leveraging that, and, and our job is to market that, so we, we're, we're on board with that. But... I, I guess there's a, a an underlying sense that that the the advertising that is being done almost commoditizes the result, uh, meaning that it's the aligners that are doing the treatment. It doesn't matter whether you go into a GP or a specialist, or you know, it, it, it's almost uh, similar to to Smile Direct. And I think that you know, if there was a little more emphasis on promoting the profession, the the orthodontists, you know, understanding that. You know, easy cases are easy cases. I mean, you know, GPs do perio, they do endo, they do easy endo, they do easy perio, and, and you know, they'll refer out, the, you know, they'll do extractions, but they, they're not going to do third molars in, in more difficult cases. And so I, I guess that's the underlying sense that I'm getting, you know, from, from my clients at least, is that, you know, that if there's something that a line could do to help the community at large understand that there is a difference between an orthodontic specialist and a GP. You know, Leon, you'll see with our advertisements as they particularly come out in the second half of this year, you'll see a much more doctor-focused, um, a doctor in the middle of our treatment planning rather than just talking about clear aligners. Um, you know, we know we have to make this differentiation with a, a, you know, a company like SDC that obviously has a, you know, a teledentistry kind of an approach. We could talk about that more in a moment. Um, and, and that it being 
being doctor centered and you know most of the you know the, the our advertisements in the past haven't really referenced that the way it should so hopefully that helps with the commoditization aspect um and the concerns that people have um because i mean uh, you know obviously even if it's digital just the way those cases are set up how it's done the sequence of it or whatever is still very doctor dependent even though we have a you know a digital process here uh, and some of our new technologies like Invisalign Teen, uh, which is, you know, done for phase one types of treatment, dental expansion, not rapid palate expansion, uh, and also mandibular advancement, those kinds of things. I mean, those those are great tools in an orthodontist hands, you know, at children at that point in their lives. And these, these basically aren't GP products. We don't see GPs using them. They stay away from them. And, and you'll see us acknowledge that in our future advertisements. So, you know, Joe, can we go back for a few seconds to talk a little bit more about Smile Direct Club? Um, you know, there's some recent uh, decisions and the arbitration brought by them against the Invisalign stores. Can you talk a little bit about that and update us, um, you know, about the relationship between Align and Smile Direct Club as it's changing pretty rapidly? Um, and, and also just a little bit about Align's future plans with other perhaps, um, you know, other direct-to-consumer Aligner programs. Yeah. Yeah, Amy, first of all, um if you if you go back to when we uh you know initiated our relationship with Smile Direct Club, which I think was twenty sixteen or so, um I had a strategy, a kind of a three part strategy. One is we had been in, in an extensive IP litigation with ClearCorrect for a number of years. Um unbeknownst to most people, uh, Smile Direct Club was making up to thirty, forty percent uh of the of the sales of ClearCorrect. Uh, it was infusing ClearCorrect with a lot of capital, and uh, and it, it concerned me. You know, I just thought I, I just don't want that to happen. Um, and I'll, you know, most in, we settled that litigation. You know, through Strawman, who owns ClearCorrect now, recently. But that was an egregious uh, IP infringement on the company over years. And so, one was, I went to meet the leaders of SDC, and and basically my goal was, you know. Let's get rid of that supply. I would not supply them Invisalign, which is smart track. I would only supply them a product that we had, you know, 21 years ago, which is basically an old EX30, you know, with no attachments or any kind of capability to it. Secondly, is to do that, I wanted some control of that company. Like you can't control with, you know, we had 19% share at that point in time, but I wanted a seat on the board to what they were doing. And since they have such an easy protocol, which is 20 aligners or less, no IPR and uh, no attachments, which means they keep a patient out of a doctor's office, correct? Um, that um, basically, when you look at that protocol, you think, well, there should be a huge amount of patients that don't qualify for that kind of easy treatment that need to go to a doctor or an orthodontist. And I, part of the agreement that we had is they would give us those patients and I would bring them back to our doctors who do Invisalign. Okay. That was, um, you know, a mm-hmm. really, you know clear part of the strategy overall and and then you know thirdly we just really wanted to understand how that model worked and you know how things went and um and that's that's how we got into it now you know i knew there would be some concerns from the orthodontic community and doctor community about what we were doing and what our intentions were and whatever but um you know with those kind of goals expressed that's how we went into this thing uh you know what we found out is that you know in the end smile direct club put you know almost all their own uh forming capacity in for aligners these are simple aligners right there that they they make and uh so you know as of today i mean in the last several months we haven't you know be we're still you know 
we still have a supply agreement with them, but we don't supply them any aligners at all. Uh, you know, secondly is, you know, they didn't really have any meaningful sense send us any patients uh, to any degree to get into doctor's offices because they will do almost any case, you know, that comes up. And they turn complex cases into simple cases because they're often just moving anterior teeth. Um we put our stores in place then, which are not stores at all. We should have never called them stores, but we put these centers in place with just iTero scanners and you know technicians to scan to take advantage of what we had learned over the years with our doctors in the sense of how to drive, you know, we've been advertising to patients for years, how to drive patients to doctors. And we put this all in place and that's when we got into a legal issue with Smile Direct Club saying that we infringed on an agreement that we had that basically said we would not so we would not compete in a substantially similar manner. Um, since we were still working through doctors' offices in those stores, I never thought that was substantially similar. Uh, an arbitrator in Chicago this year disagreed with that, and that's why we had to shut our stores down. But our intent always was is just one step forward with consumers so we could get those consumers ready and transfer them to a doctor's office. So um, our doctor, our commitment to a doctor's office model is uh, is stated. We're committed to it. We're not moving from that. Uh, there were some other strategic underlying aspects of the SDC that led us to do what we did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Amy? I guess, you know. It does. It does. And actually, you know, um, I wonder if, you know, there's uh, some agreement there in terms of even just a few days ago, a federal court essentially ruled that Smile Direct Club does, in fact, if I'm right, engage in the practice of dentistry. So needs to be regulated by state dental boards. Do you think this is a bit of a a wave toward more um, regulation or more getting patients to see doctors for teeth movement? You know, Amy, I do think that that could happen. You know, I saw that ruling. It's primarily associated with Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. But remember, the people that own and, and uh, operate Smile Direct Club are very astute and capable business people who have been in and out of courts in many businesses they've been in their life. Okay. So you got to look at this as they look at this as just a brick in the road. Okay. Um, but secondly, I, from an industry standpoint, I, I would want orthodontists to take a step back and and remember um, one of the great aspects of digital is it expands expands their reach beyond an office and and so if you want to do from an office standpoint teleorthodontist right if you orthodontics where you want to be able to monitor patients and do it remotely instead of in an office if you want if a doctor wants to set up their own scan center somewhere all right and hire somebody to scan and refer those patients back to their office so they can see it I think we have to be very careful about that because you don't want to cut off the arm of digital in the sense of adding productivity to an orthodontist or doctor's office model. So I just end this kind of monologue by saying is the, the, the key thing here is to make sure that there's a doctor that has a physical examination of a patient in an office is part of this whole thing. And don't get caught in a technology trap of saying that you can't scan or something like that because that's gonna put um, the digital model kind of at a disadvantage for orthodontists to expand their scope and reach into that broader market uh, for orthodontic treatment that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Amy and I both agree with that actually. And, and we really see um, the model um, embracing the technology, the, those orthodontists that are taking advantage of new developments. We were, we were you know, recently at the AAO meeting walking around and, and um, you know, there's, there, there's 
artificial intelligence software company called Dental Monitoring that has some pretty sophisticated abilities to help close the gap between what's important to patients and, and, and what's important to, to the orthodontists, meaning that we can, we can maintain control of the case and at the same time not require as many physical visits, although an initial consultation is required, records are required. I mean, that part of it, um, it remains the same, but you know, the distribution of aligners to see if they're tracking, you know, I know in my own practice, a lot of times, you know, adults would look at me, you know, I'd bring them in every six or eight weeks, give them the next couple of aligners and, and say, you know, everything looks good, you know, and they'd say, well, why can't you just give me more aligners? And, you know, um, it, 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 to them, it seemed like it was a wasted visit. It certainly it wasn't. I was checking to see if, it, if they were tracking um, before moving ahead. But, you know, artificial intelligence can do that probably at, at a better, a higher level than we can. So... So the, I agree, you know, the digital model, I think, is important. We're right now encouraging a lot of our clients to do, uh, you know, just initial virtual uh, consultations, not true consultations, but just opening up the door to some of the digital natives um, to, you know, take a selfie and send it to an orthodontist and, yes. and ask, you know, do you think I'm an aligner candidate? And, and, you know, try to tap into some of the, some of the uh, effectiveness that, you know, um, Smile Direct Club and other direct-to-consumer companies are currently doing. So, um, one cool feature of the podcast is that we're introducing the capability of orthodontists to pre-record questions to our guests. So, we've actually set up a way for the ortho community to ask you a question with our click the call button, which is uh, on our website, pplpractice.com backslash podcast. I'll leave... uh, I'll leave a um, a link to it in the show notes, so um, you know our listeners can can get it for the future. But let's take a question now for you, Joe. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine, Leon. Hi, my name is Wayne Wyatt. I'm an orthodontist in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my question for Mr. Hogan is this: It seems that the direct-to-consumer aligner market is attempting to advertise that they are basically the same thing as Invisalign with an orthodontist except at a cheaper price. How exactly is Invisalign seeking to counter that false advertising by helping people understand the differences and in outcomes and in treatment using your superior product to the cheaper online direct-to-consumer products? Thanks a bunch. I, Dr. White, it's, it's Joe. Look, I, I, those commercials make me as crazy as I think they make you. Okay, <laughs> when I see that, I think you got to be kidding me because, you know, I understand the terrific work that orthodontists do, and to compare a two thousand dollar case against a six thousand dollar case is like night and day, right? So it, it's a classic example of false advertising. Um, you know, I'm not, this is not an excuse. I mean, obviously, you'll see us go after this in in, in different ways, um, and so we just have to be smart legally in the sense of how we go about this and what we do. Um, but I just, I just said, I empathize with you. I see that too. It is just a complete distortion of reality, and and you'll see us move in the next six months or so to be to address that in some way. But remember regulations and authority and all those things are slow they're grainy it's um you know since these things aren't considered like threatening um you know organizations don't tend to move as quickly from a governmental standpoint to address those kinds of things but uh, obviously being the leading orthodontics company in the world in the sense of our size and market cap we feel we have a responsibility to be able to, to, to have to address that 
You know, Joe, um, the we also feel like um, the orthodontist themselves has some control here as well to help differentiate between an orthodontist and and any non-supervised uh, doctor supervised treatment and we feel that you know as a marketing firm and we do this with our clients but it's really incumbent upon the practices as well to take a local um, educational approach to making sure their communities are informed about the difference and of course being careful as you mentioned earlier but um, but really just making sure people understand what the difference is between a $5,000 case and a $2,000 case, as you mentioned, but simply just having a supervi- supervisor, a doctor who's supervising treatment along the way, and what the risks are of, of not having that. Um, so we do, we work with our, our clients in order to make sure that these types of educational campaigns are happening, but locally, because I think that a lot of orthodontists are a little bit stressed out about the... Um, global nature of Smile Direct Club and others uh, marketing investments. And it feels a little bit like an uphill battle to try to do the same, um, but to sort of combat that with, with their own messaging. But really what we're saying is that the lo- on the local level, this can be very effective if you take an educational approach. Yeah. You know, Amy, let's take a little bit of time with that because I think it's really important is if you um, if you think about the normal orthodontic practice in the United States, and I've learned a little bit, Leon, since you first educated me, okay, is it's about normally 80, 70 to 80 percent teens is what you'd see around the United States. And then, you know, 20, 25% adults or so. This this is a bifurcated marketplace, right? So when you look at the the GPs that I know, if you look, and, and what I know about Smile Direct Club, very few teens are done. Most of those teens, you know, you could start from, you know, pedos, you know, phase one expansion at age six now and age seven and those kind of things is, that's just not where that, adult marketplaces, you know, um, it's, it's so w- there's a difference between teen cases and certain number of adult cases. And what we saw in our stores were when we sent, a, 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 there's a price elasticity to this curve in this business that has to be respected. And Amy, you know from what price elasticity is, is there are certain adults out there that never, that didn't wear their retainers, that just want to correct um, some of their anterior teeth. And they don't expect to spend $6,000. They want to spend $2,500. I actually think they'll pay another $1,000 versus a do-it-yourself kind of a, you know, teledentistry yes. DC kind of a thing. One of the issues we had with our with our Invisalign experience stores is patients would specifically say, this is what I want, just move my anterior teeth. We would move them into an orthodontist office, an orthodontist would try to upsell them to a bite correction of $6,000, which they wouldn't pay for and they didn't want. So I think there's, it's a long discussion here, but I think there has to be a realization by orthodontists that there is there is a certain price sensitivity from a marketplace standpoint in the adult segment, permanent dentition segment, where people don't want to rotate molars and change their bite, that they only want to change their smile and they want to do it safely so you don't end up with posterior open bite or all those things that we deal with. And it's really important that I think that, that, that orthodontists consider that as they talk about a $6,000 treatment versus a $3,000 treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, before I retired, you, know, you touched on a couple of things here that I just want to circle back to. I had a pretty large early treatment component of my practice. And Amy and I were recently at the AAO meeting. We gave a marketing lecture there, walked around a little bit on, you know, uh, at the exhibits and stopped over at a line and noticed that, 
you know, Invisalign first and Mandibular Advancement, these are major focuses for a line, at least they appear to be. So I used a lot of removable appliances, you know, in my my career, and I always struggled with appliances in the mixed dentition, particularly because of the loose baby teeth. So tell me a little bit more about Invisalign first uh, and, 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 and how it works. Uh, you know, Leon, that's a good question. Okay, it's we obviously didn't do what we call you know preteens or tweens for years because of uh, non permanent dentition. Um, but having done now close to seven million cases, we have a huge database of how these things progress. And so what we've been able to do is be able to scan a young patient, and then we can uh, we can understand where the where the dentition will change, where the new teeth will come in, and then we know a molar is going to be about this size, or an incisor is going to be about that size, and where it's going to come in, or whatever. And we consequently program our aligners in anticipation of when those teeth will actually erupt and to move. And that's been a breakthrough for us on first. So, um, you know, we're, you know, we've gotten better and better over the years to be able to do that. And that's why we, you know, we, we launched that product. But it is, it's really a summary of a lot of cases we've done over the years and then using artificial intelligence or machine learning or whatever you want to call it, call it to be able to anticipate those teeth, the size of them, where they'll erupt and the program, the aligners are accordingly. Joe, good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time and uh, look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Yeah, we really appreciate you spending the time with us. And, and uh, I know you're, you're a busy guy. And, uh, you know, on behalf of, of the orthodontists out there listening, you know, thanks a lot for spending the time with us. Good. Well, thanks. Oh, honestly, I, I appreciate the time, too. Um, you know, yeah, I'm a busy person, but this is really important. I think we have a story here that's often sometimes misconstrued in the marketplace. And, and, and the more and more we can we can tell you what really goes on inside and what our intentions are, I think it helps everybody in, in the business. Yep, I Absolutely. agree. Much appreciated. Good. Thanks, so we have Dan. a great lineup of guests moving forward, including uh, Leanne Panishi, president of Panishi Associates. The conversion rates for orthodontists are, I would say, nothing to uh, rejoice about. There's room there for improvement, and Leanne will come on and give us some tips on how we can convert more cases. Uh, Chris Benson, president of Benson Koppel Associates, got his pulse on what's going on with DSOs and uh, transitions and, and, and a lot going on, and there's a lot to learn from Chris, as usual. Uh, Sue Hainan will be on from Impact 360. She's always uh, a pleasure to speak with and has a lot of gems and works with a lot of practices. So she'll share some of the internal marketing, some of the data. So that's just to name a few. So uh, be sure to stay tuned. And we welcome your input and suggestions. As you heard earlier, you can uh, dial in and leave a question if you like. Visit thesurvivalguidefororthodontists.com and record a, a question and we'll, we'll play it. Um, you can also download episodes or sign up for our marketing newsletter at that site. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your colleagues. We're just getting started and appreciate the support. We look forward to you joining us on our next podcast. Thank you for joining us on the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry. Subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media. Find us online at thesurvivalguidefororthodontists.com.